Rainbow Bright. Hi, this is Michael and Patty Silvershire. You are listening to Brightcast. We enjoyed being interviewed by Renee and Katie about our participation as music composers for the Rainbow Bright albums and storybooks. So, we hope you enjoy our interview as much as we enjoyed doing it. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. Welcome to Brightcast. Thank you for downloading. This is Katie Carty Hiley of RainbowBright.net. And I'm Renee Stowe of RainbowBright.co.uk. Welcome to episode number 10 for October 2014. Welcome back. Sorry we've been on a slight hiatus, but we did have some awesome specials in between our last normal episode and this one, so we haven't been completely gone. Uh, but we did have a new voicemail that we forgot to play last time. <laughs> Hi, um, my name is Lenise Marie Watts. My favorite shows of Rainbow Bright is Rainbow Bright and the Star Sprinkles, Rainbow Bright Chasing Rainbows, and Peril in the Pits. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you very much, Denise, for leaving us that lovely voicemail letting us know that you, about your favorite episodes. And we are thanking you for being a Brightcast listener and a Rainbow Bright fan. Yay! Woo! Thank you, Denise. And those are some excellent episodes. I absolutely agree. So we do have a few bits of news before we get into the meat of this episode. Uh, first one being RainbowBright.net and TeePublic.com got together and ran a contest over the past couple of weeks to get some more Rainbow Bright designs uploaded to their website to be printed on t-shirts that you can purchase. There were only a few Rainbow Bright designs before the contest began, and now there are 24, which is much better than a handful. And they're fantastic. We got some really, really awesome artwork out of this. Uh, some of it was artwork we had seen before that just got uploaded to be printed on a t-shirt and some was brand new artwork that was done just for this contest. So it was super exciting. And the winner of that contest was artist Elador, who submitted six designs to uh, the contest and they're all fantastic. <laughs> I know Renee and I were having such a hard time narrowing it down when we were trying to judge the contest. We actually had to pull in a guest judge, um, our friend Joey Angel from the fandom that we've known for years and has drawn her own uh, Rainbow Bright fan art for a number of years because we couldn't narrow it down to one design. So in the end, we at least narrowed it down to one artist and uh, and Elidor was the winner. So congratulations, Elidor. Woo! Woo! Yes, I love her artwork. It is very much in the classic vein of the Rainbow Bright uh, design. And I actually have a print of uh, one of her designs from a while back with the Rainbow Bright face. And it's so cute. I love it. And T Public's the shirts are very good quality shirts. I was actually very surprised. Uh, nice uh, pre-shrunk cotton, uh, good color, and the print is really good. It's very vibrant colors, and uh, it doesn't look like it's going to flake off or anything. It's really nice. I would 
Absolutely agree. Um, I had one bad experience with Redbubble a year or two ago, and it's kind of shied me away from ever wanting to buy from them again. Uh, I know other people have had good experiences with them, but personally, I can't recommend them uh, just because of that one experience. But TeePublic, I've now ordered several shirts from, and all of them have been fantastic. And if you ever get one that there is something wrong with, if you send them an email, they'll be happy to send out a reprint. Um, So just keep that in mind. But all of them have been just so cute and fantastic and they're unique you know it's not something you can find anywhere else on the web other than t public and some of these are also on redbubble uh so it's yeah you should definitely go to t public and search for rainbow bright and see all of the excellent designs available there uh some of them are actually still on sale for 14 dollars, so you should stock up uh their regular price is 20 but they do occasionally do sales where they're down to 14. Um, And the artists who submit the designs do get commission when their designs sell. So you're also supporting independent artists when you purchase from a site like this. So the more you purchase, the more artwork we will hopefully get. And more rainbows in the world is always a good thing. (laughs) Indeed. Well, this is, of course, the October episode of Brightcast. So October, of course, is Halloween. So what do we have costume-wise, Katie? There is a new costume that I've come across this year. It's not an official one, sadly, but if you go to Amazon.com and search for Rainbow Bright costume, it should come right up. You might want to search for corset costume because there is a corset involved that might help narrow it down, Uh, but it's made by the company Daisy Corsets, and it's really cute, Uh, and apparently the corset can be worn separately from the costume, so it's multi-purpose. It comes with the arm warmers, leg warmers, I believe it comes with a wand, uh, a bow for your hair. It comes with a lot of different accessories, so it, it would be a good costume to even use the separate parts for other costumes in the future. So definitely check that out, and Keep also posting your vintage Halloween pictures to uh, Instagram because I'm having a blast looking through them Uh, this time of year. A lot of Throwback Thursdays are Halloween related. So I'm seeing 80s vintage pictures of Rainbow Bright fans in their Rainbow Bright costumes from when they were a kid or even from the last you know, 10 to 15 years, they're showing pictures of, you know, in college when they dressed as Rainbow Bright or this party or that party, whatnot. And it's fantastic. And it just, again, is keeping the spirit of Rainbow Bright alive, keeping her in the public eye. So anything we can do to draw more attention to Rainbow is woohoo with me. So keep uploading those pictures because they put a big old smile on my face. And hopefully we'll see some more people dressing up this year. Well, also other than posting them to Instagram or your Flickr or whatever photos site that you have, you can submit them directly to rainbowbright.org for addition to their costume gallery. Uh, You might want to tell the fans how to do that. That's actually a really good point. I sometimes forget about my own websites and how they work. Um, (laughs) I spend a lot of time surfing the web and getting images myself, so I forget to tell people that, yes, you can submit them yourself as well. You don't have to put it on a site like Instagram or Flickr. You can go directly to rainbowbright.org and click the submit button. And there's a form there for you to fill out. And it just asks for your name or whoever you want the photo attributed to. It could be a nickname, whatnot. I believe it asks for your email address just so I can get back in touch with you if needed. I'm not going to put that on the image unless you want me to. And then just the image or images. It can You can upload several. And we've got categories for cosplay, which would be for new pictures of you in Rainbow Bright costumes. Or um, there's a fans category. So that would be for pictures of you as you're dressed as Rainbow Bright as a child from back in the in the 80s or early 90s. Um, but, you know, if you put it under the wrong category, I'll put it in the right one. It's, it's no big deal. <laughs> 
but please do submit. And, you know, there's also places there for fan art and tattoo pictures and craft projects that are, you know, Rainbow Bright related. So feel free to upload any of that that you may have um, that you want people to see. In regards to the older Rainbow Bright, I remember in the previous podcast, I mentioned that uh, the Rainbow Bright series or the Deke catalog was under Cookie Jar. Well, I did some more research because it had been a while since I actually looked it up and it's no longer with Cookie Jar. It's now under DHX, uh, which does explain those uh, British DVDs having the DHX symbol on them uh, from a few Uh years ago. But yay. Um more please (laughs) right please yeah and it's now we're getting close to the anniversary of the release of the uh, star stealer movie which that was november 15th of uh, 1985 so it's 29 years so near the 30th anniversary of the movie so yay yeah so surely by next year or (laughs) sometime next year they'll do re-release of that surely or, or I might have to beat somebody up. I'm just saying. <laughs> In the meantime, you can still stream the Star Stealer movie on YouTube. You can also stream it on Amazon. It is uh, $3.99 for HD to rent it in the U.S. Uh, unfortunately, it is not available overseas. We've checked that before. It's not there. Sorry. Sad face. And the episodes are on YouTube because several people have uploaded them. So feel free to check them out while they're still there until Hallmark takes them down, which inevitably I assume they'll do. But if they never release them on DVD, then why should they? So (laughs) maybe they'll leave them alone. Um, Speaking of episodes, I have been updating my website a little bit lately. I I do still do that. Um, Just want to put that out there. I know the site has been around since 1997, but I I do still update it from time to time, and I try to do it more often lately. And one of the things I never completed were the episode summaries. So if you go under the show and then episode guide, you'll have a list of the episodes, and some of them have a summary and a few little screenshots, but not all of them, because I never got around to the rest. So I'm finally going back through and doing those, and I've just finished the beginning of Rainbow Land Part 1, So you can go uh, check that out. It's got, yeah, it's just a summary of what happens in the episode along with screenshots that show what the summary is talking about. Um, And then I've also added a new thing to my website, which is a screenshots gallery. Because I've got a gallery of just pictures of characters, which are pictures of the characters from official artwork sources, such as the books and folders and cards, etc. But I did not have a section for screenshots. And now I've got that separate from the picture gallery it's under the show as well so if you look beside episode guide there's now a screenshots link and if you go there there's a a gallery um just for the beginning of rainbow land part one and because i love the screenshots and the artwork from the episode so much there are 300 pictures in there because i couldn't narrow it down any further than that so i i apologize if there are several poses that are very similar in a row but it's for a reason because like one will have twink with his arms up like he's about to fight somebody and then in the next one he looks kind of scared and then he looks happy or you know so it's it's slight variations but they they show a completely different emotion we'll say so i thought that would be fun for people who love to like make memes online which i see all the time 
So if you want to go to my screenshots, take a few and make some funny memes out of them, go for it. Because they make me laugh, even if you're <laughs> insulting Rainbow Bright. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> no, people don't usually insult her. They just use her to say funny things that she would not normally say. <laughs> And I will be adding additional episodes in the future as time allows. And one other thing we mentioned on a previous episode that we wanted to follow up on, I believe it was the episode when we were talking with Tina and we brought out the color castle boxes and realized that one of the pictures we found online on 80stoysale.com did not match the pictures that were on our boxes. So I contacted the owner of that website and it turns out the picture of the rainbow bright and twink beanies that were never sold uh that image came off of the poster which is inside the box but none of us ever opened our box so we didn't realize that there was a poster (laughs) with other images on it uh so just to clear up that mystery that has been solved we now know where that image came from so in this episode renee why don't you tell us who we interviewed all right well this episode is actually very special and i'm happy that we finally did it. Um, This is going to be about an interview that we did with Patty and Michael Silvershire. Patty and Michael Silvershire are a songwriting team who worked on the Pain Rainbow in Your Heart record album and uh, the Christmas album. And of course, uh, Michael Silvershire was the singing voice for Twink. Um, We have uh, gotten in touch with them and they were happy to actually get on the phone with us and uh, do a nice interview explaining the production of the album and uh, share their memories. Unfortunately, we had some technical issues that night and I actually had to phone in. So I apologize uh, for the next segment, which is the interview. And I sound like crap. (laughs) (laughs) But at least we can hear you. That's the important part. In case you uh, didn't know or weren't sure, uh, the songs that the Silver Shirts particularly worked on from Pain Rainbow in Your Heart were In the Twink of an Eye, A Color Symphony, The First Part of Friendship is Friends, Bink Bonk, and Paint a Rainbow in Your Heart. And then from the Christmas album, they wrote A Gift of Love, Christmas in the Pits, and The Twelve Days of Christmas. Which actually, I think those are my three favorites off of the Christmas album, now that I think about it. <laughs> love it yeah those are some of my favorites from paint a rainbow as well so they're a super talented team and they are still working in the field as well as you will hear <laughs> all right so let's get to the episode and uh here it is our interview with the silver shares we have we are going to be interviewing uh Michael and Patty Silvershire, a songwriting team from the Rainbow Bright record albums from the 1980s. Yay! Yay! That's right. <laughs> Thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedules to speak with us. Um, oh, no problem. It's actually a great pleasure. We are so. super excited. <laughs> well, that's great. We're we're. Uh... We we just hope we can remember. <laughs> It takes a lot of recalling. Yes. <laughs> but if you can't remember something, just make something up. You know, that works. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, I guess I can get us started with the first question. Um, I was curious where each of you got your musical starts. You know, at what age did you realize that you loved music and you liked to write songs? Um, 
Do you play any musical instruments, that kind of thing? And then how did you kind of get your break into the business of songwriting and composing? That's a very good question. Do you want to? I can start because I, mine is a very short, <laughs> it's a very short response. Um, I started violin when I was probably in fourth grade and then dropped that and picked up the guitar and actually just always did that as something fun and um, not thinking I'd ever be in the world of music. And uh, then um, I started a uh, guitar class and theater courses and that kind of a thing. Um, and after I met Michael, uh, we met in a in, from a musical theater company up in Palo Alto. Michael really was the the rock and roller and had a wonderful band and performed a lot up in Northern California. And so um, I really had only written songs for fun when I was in college, but that was the extent of it. And so Michael was a very serious songwriter and has a tremendous musical background since he was a, a baby almost. So yeah. uh, that's how I sort of started. And I'll let Michael then talk a little bit about his background. Yeah, I... I I started um, playing piano when I was five, and I guess I was uh, around eight years old. And my sister had done a painting of this guy on the beach, and I and I and I wrote a song about that guy on the beach <laughs> called nice. "Wasted Man." Very strange for <laughs> wait, wait, very strange for an eight-year-old to write that. But there you go. And uh, I just started writing songs. I was. Um, I had been um, uh, what was I? Uh, I was I had been um, hearing music all my life, but I didn't know it was coming from the inside out. I thought it might have been from the outside in, but then I just started learning how to play, and I wrote a, a bunch of songs. I was uh, actually a staff writer for the Fifth Dimension when I was still in high school. I was 17. I was living up in Northern California and flying down every week to have an office on in in, in L.A. Wow. to to write songs. They never did any of my songs, Aww. and I quit. And I ended up at at this theater. Well, it was it was good because I wasn't ready for it at all. I was only 17, and I quit. And about the time I was 18 or so, I started in with this theater company, Theater Works in Palo Alto. And I became the founding musical director of the shows, and it was it was amazing because I learned how to do everything wrong. I learned how to write <laughs> out of character, out of key, out of style, and from that, from working with that theater, I learned how to write in character, in style, and in keys, the big keys that people could sing in. And um, as part of the theater company, I guess Patty was in the play Oliver, and I and I met her. And uh, we, the first thing we ended up, do, we we did actually was there was a local songwriting contest, mm, a Christmas. It was an international song contest for a Christmas song, and we decided to enter. And I'd never collaborated with anybody before, and uh, the collaboration was really was really good, and we won the song contest. And we it won. was a song called Christmas in My Heart. Yeah, and it was a it was a. We recorded it and uh, did nothing with it. It didn't. Yeah, and <laughs> oh, then no. when uh, yeah, as we were as we were going along, we uh, started a little group called the um, it was called the South Bay Songwriters Association, 
it, uh, it then became the Northern California Songwriters Association, and now it's the West Coast Songwriters. So it has um, people all the way from Washington State all the way down to San Diego. But we wow. started off in a little place in our in our uh, in our living room in Palo Alto with 13 people, or actually Patty said it was seven people. Uh, and uh, we were studying, we were talking about writing music together, and uh, then we got into the business. And one of our members was uh, had a brother who was working at the Disney company, and she was talking to them about about us and that we were. We were good songwriters. And he said, well, we're looking for writers to do this special project, which was called Mickey Mouse Rocks. And what happened was he, he said, well, have them send something. So you want to go from there? And tell so them? that was a Friday <laughs> phone call. On Saturday, we wrote five songs. Wow. On Sunday, we cleaned out our... We, on Sunday, we cleaned out our savings account. We had $75 in our savings account. We went to this guy who demoed all five songs. And on Monday, we sent the songs. And then two months later, we received a rejection letter from Tom Bocci, the publisher at Disney, saying that it was a nice try, <laughs> but writing for children's music is, a, is, is much more difficult than most people would ever imagine. And especially writing for Disney and characters and all of that. So... We did not get that, and uh, but the project was also abandoned right, as well. They did, yes, they did dump the project. And we were coming. I was coming down to do a, a musical theater workshop in L.A., and uh, Patty contacted them, and Tom said, "Well, next time you're in L.A., why don't you come in and, and uh, visit us?" So we did, and we uh, went in there, and they said, "Now we're working on a new project. It's called Mouser Size." Well, we got the we got the song pig out on Mouser Size, and it did go platinum. Wow! And and uh, from that, uh, I was offered the chance to produce the next album with Jim Magon, uh, which was called uh, it was originally called Mouser Size uh, Mouse Tronics, but it ended up being called Mickey Mouse Splash Dance. And uh, we uh, Patty and I ended up writing. Eight out of the eleven songs on that album, actually. And we had moved to LA by this time. That was the that was the impetus for us to move to Los Angeles. Yeah. And then, um, and then after that, all the other you know albums and theme park parade, the Donald Duck 1984. We wrote the Donald Duck theme park parade, Happy Happy Birthday. And that was that was about at the same time that the Rainbow Bright project happened as well. And uh, yes, so Rainbow Bright was 1984. Yeah, we. Uh, I think we actually recorded it in 1983, though. It was released in 84. Yeah. So. Wow. So y'all had a whirlwind start to your career, I would say. Yeah. yeah. You know, the, and the great news is that we haven't stopped working since. So. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Which just speaks to your talent. So congratulations. That's fantastic. Thank um, you. Regarding what you were just saying about your past projects that christmas song that you sent to the contest and won do you still have that because you said nothing was ever done with it but i would love to hear it if you have it i do have it uh, you do have it i believe what happened oh you know what happened uh, the name of it was christmas 
Oh, no, it wasn't. No, we didn't give that to Disney. No, that Disney doesn't have that, no. It was the magic song we gave to Disney. Actually, Disney has it, too. I think Disney does. Yeah, Disney owns it, but they've never done anything with it. See, it was signed by Tom Bocci, the publisher, who actually, Tom left not too long after we got there. Yeah. Which was too bad. We really liked him. But then we another really wonderful woman, Susan Borgeson, came in, and she was the publisher after Tom. Um, the Christmas in My Heart song, sure, we could probably send you an MP3 of it. I have to find it, though. <laughs> that would be fantastic. I want to add it to my Christmas playlist. <laughs> uh, we don't have a recording. What would it be on that? We did have a recording of it. I'm sure, I know I have it someplace. Oh, you do? Oh, okay. Great. I think I digitized it. Oh, okay. Time, great. So, yeah. Awesome. And then the Disney songs that you sent in that they ended up not using, did you use any of those of those for any future projects, or do you still have those? Um, there haven't been too many of Donald them. Duck, approximately. Michael did this great Bob Dylan impersonation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, just, we, like, just like Donald Duck, just approximately. Like, see, we didn't know. The, obviously, we really, we'd never worked with Disney before, so we just did rock and roll songs with, you know, character names. Yeah, we, we had character. Surfer Goofy. Right. And uh, let me see. I can't I remember all the long time ago. Oh, the, the the names of of oh the, then there was um, um, Mickey Reggae. Oh, <laughs> Mickey Reggae. Oh, oh, Mickey Reggae. That was that was definitely ahead of its time. <laughs> I know, I know. We should probably bring them out now and present them, and who knows what would happen. Yeah, really. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> So, but uh, but then we then we, at one point we we got a chance to do the uh, the um, the Rainbow Bright thing it was a different type of project for us because most of the Disney projects we had done up to that point were in house were things for for Disney Records and for those things and Rainbow Bright came from Hallmark it was like a co production between Disney and Hallmark at that point and at that time. Uh, there was no Saban, or, there was not a television series. It was a. It was just the album. It was the album, and there was a series of cards. Oh and that's wow, that's passwords. So in answer to your question, there was uh, the reason I'm doing the voice of Twink on the album is because there wasn't anybody else to do it. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> and Jim suggested it, and they and put me in there and spanned up my voice a little bit, and uh, I had done some stuff like that on the on the. Flash dance as well. So that's how I became the original voice of Twink. <laughs> so. Wow. We thought it was like a post thing. <laughs> no. no uh-uh. So I guess they had cast a few of the members since we have Bettina on it and I believe Pat Fraley as well. Yes. yes. Peter Cullen did the voice of Murky and Pat, yeah, Pat Fraley was the voice of Lurky. But also Will Ryan, I think he did his singing on the, on the album. Uh, did the singing for uh, for Lurky. For Lurky. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we are, we're also looking at this book that's helping to jog our memory called right. Mouse Tracks. Are you guys aware of this book? The story, Walt, the it, story of Walt Disney Records. It's called Mouse Tracks. And it's published no. by Mississippi Mississippi Press, the University of Press of uh, Mississippi in Jackson. It's by Tim Hollis and Greg Erber, and it's a very uh, valuable, or I should say, invaluable resource 
for all things about the record company during the during the during heyday. During the heyday, yeah, really. And so it has a nice big article about us and about all the people we know. <laughs> oh, how cool! And it has this whole big thing on Rainbow Bright. Rainbow Bright. Oh, okay, I'm definitely gonna have to put that sucker down. <laughs> yes. It has an interview with Bettina Bush as well in here. How have we never heard of this? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, good. It's, it's a wonderful book. That's amazing. I'll be referring to it as we talk. <laughs> Fantastic. So tell me again who you said did Lurky's singing voice? Um, Will Ryan. Will Ryan. Uh, Will okay. Ryan and uh, Phil Barron had a little group called Willio and Philio, and they did a lot of the stuff for Disney over the years. Uh, they were Ch our Chippendale when we had the Chippendales uh, singers. Oh. Uh, they were also um, uh, the uh, Winnie the Pooh. I think uh, Phil was Winnie the Pooh and uh, Will was uh, was Tigger at that point for the uh, for the House of Pooh Corner on Disney Channel show. Oh, wow! And the, the uh, live action one with the puppet people. That's exactly right. And, and Phil was also the voice of Teddy Ruxpin. Wow! Teddy Ruxpin thing. So he's now a cantor at a. Synagogue in in uh, Encino. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Now, the, are you familiar with Corey Burton? Because that's who Pat Fraley told me he worked with. Yeah, Corey. Corey's a very interesting guy. I worked with him on on a variety of projects. He's extremely talented. Uh, very neurotic fella. <laughs> <laughs> he would chain smoke at sessions. <laughs> so. But Peter Cullen was involved in the albums, at least. Yes, somewhere. yes that came from uh, Jim Magon. Yeah. Now, Jim Magon, you may, you know, we uh, sent him some questions. Jim produced the albums, mm -hmm. and he was the head of consumer products at the time when we were there, and he's the one who created like gummy bears, tailspin. He was the actual creator. Wow. And and so. Um, of those cartoons, and then as the as the record producer for Rainbow Bright and a lot of other Disney albums, and yeah, you with, may with want Jim Andron. with Jim Andron, you may want to um, actually interview Jim at some point too, Jim Jim Magon, because yeah. he is a wealth. He does the whole Disney. What's the name of his website? Oh, the Disney Afternoon Forever. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And actually, yes, and and uh, so there's a lot of uh, he's a wealth of information on all of this. Right. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. So apart from the singers we've already mentioned, do you remember anyone else, especially any of the child singers? Because there were several solos, um, or at least they sounded like children. Some of them may ha not have been. They were children. Um, yeah, and, you know, trying to remember back to names, individual names, that'd be really hard. I'll tell you why. Because the woman who was the, who really, she was the woman here in L.A. who had all the kid singers, the choir of children. She was a vocal contractor. Her name was Betty Joyce. And she actually has two sons, Bob Joyce and, 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 uh, David, Joyce. and David Joyce, who are fantastic singers themselves. And uh, Betty did, uh, she was the one who picked all the kids uh, from her ensemble for the recording of Rainbow Bright. And, in fact, on Rainbow and Bright. in fact, she was the one who uh, started uh, Molly Ringwald's career. 
Oh, wow. Well, was one of her singers when she was a young kid. And if you see the, uh, the uh, there's a Mickey Mouse Christmas album. Molly Ringwald does a solo on that. Really? As a young kid. I've <laughs> got to so, check that out. Another thing Jim had said that was, if it was Betty, we're pretty sure it was Betty, then she would rehearse the kids before they got into the studio. So if they spent time together um, and did funny things with each other, he never saw that. Because okay. they would just come to the studio prepared to sing. The yeah. kids would. Gotcha. So was Bettina a part of her choir, do you know? Or was she brought in separately? I think she was brought in separately. Let me read you what uh, what uh, is written here in the book about this. Okay. Um, it says, uh, after setting out to find a singing voice for Rainbow, producers at Disney and Deke, thought to ask Bettina Bush, the voice of the animated character. They didn't know I sang, said Bush. They had been auditioning other girls to sing. I was in a recording session for the cartoon and was singing to myself, and they said, do you sing? I started rattling off my credits. I was about six or seven at the time. They started laughing, and I think they asked me to sing Happy Birthday. I said, do you want to hear some of the songs I really sing? (laughs) <laughs> and I did don't and I said and I did uh, don't cry for me Argentina. What? Yeah. It was really funny. Of course, I thought, why wouldn't you think of using? Why would you think of using somebody else? <laughs> so she did the singing and the speaking for Rainbow Bright for the album there. Wow! I wish there was a recording of her singing "Don't Cry for Me Argentina" at no, six years old. <laughs> you, have you tried to contact her? Well, we have interviewed her before, but I don't believe we've ever asked questions about the album. Oh, okay. Uh, So I'm going to put that on my list. (laughs) Great. Because she is a fantastic person. She's she's just wonderful in in every way. Um, And one of the things I had mentioned to you guys uh, when we were conversing over email was just regarding her singing voice. And even speaking voice, you know, for a six-year-old, I think that's one reason she got the gig was because she could already read and read well at that age. And she could just enunciate so well and actually put, you know, feeling and emotion into the lines, not just reading it like a robot. So in that area, she was already very talented. But then as far as her singing range went... When I listened to the album, and I do still listen to it very often, (laughs) just so you know, because I love it so much, I'm just continually impressed with her voice, especially at such a young age. Right, right. Um, And I was just wondering if you guys were equally as impressed with her. Well, you know, I never actually worked with her uh, in the uh, the studio. I know Jim did. And let me see, he says something about about her. She says... uh, in answer to the question, she says, yeah, she was good. She said, I also worked with Molly Ringwald, who has also had some chops for a kid. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I think uh, um, I was, I'm impressed listening back to Bettina on the record and how well she, she interpreted everything and really got the characters. And it's, those songs were in high keys. Now, you ask about the keys. I don't think we chose the keys. I think that the keys were chosen by by Jim and uh, Jim Andron. Okay. Uh, so that um, so that to make sure that the girls could, make could sure sing the characters it. could sing it. And they, and they wanted and they chose the keys that were best fitted for the characters. Right. That makes so, sense. Yeah. 
And especially since they were going to be listened to by children that would want to exactly. sing along. That right. does yeah. make sense. It's hard for me nowadays trying to sing along sometimes. <laughs> right. But I do it anyway. I give it my all. <laughs> Well, that must have been really interesting for you guys then after the fact. So, you know, you, you wrote these songs, you composed the music, and then just had to kind of sit and wait to see how it was going to sound like in the end. Um, was that really interesting for you when you got the finished product? Did you kind of sit down and... Most of our albums didn't work like that. We would be in the studio with all yeah. of the... Um, so I can't remember the reason why we weren't... Um, but they were doing their, their own thing. I came into the studio specifically to sing, uh, I was in there for one day, to sing Twink, and uh, um, Bettina's part was already recorded, okay. so I just had to, I just had to, uh, <clears throat> to uh, pretend she was standing next to me. <laughs> People, you'll always be in the studio, whatever it was I said, I don't know what it was. When you get into trouble, you're there when the devil was leaving, the question goes by. Give me a cheers. Here I come. Never fear. I'll be there in the twink of an eye. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that makes me so. But you have to imagine it's sped up. Yeah, right. And they also have to imagine me to be forty years younger than I am. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I've always wondered, you know, with the singers who've done like the Chipmunks and so forth, how hard is it to sing it at a slower tempo? And it's, then, well, if it's not too slow, it's okay. You really have to worry about enunciation to make sure that everything is clear that's and that's the main thing these days you don't even have to sing it at a slower tempo they can actually manipulate your voice electronically so you can sing at the regular pitch and the, your voice is just going down mm -hmm. so it's very weird to do that but <laughs> my favorite when it comes to that was uh, bink bonk oh, okay. to figure out the lyrics uh, for our websites, I went and actually slowed down the track right. <laughs> to try to figure out exactly which words were being said. Hey, that's ah. really smart. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> no, that's Patty's big thing. She's an inventor of words. And uh, she invented the, those particular words for that song. Bing, bang, ratato. Yak, yak, skittle, whack. Bing, bang, bang. Bing, bang, now I have um interviewed uh Lois not really interviewed I, I sent her an email a few years ago. Lois Lynch, yes, uh-huh. Yes, she did Rainbow Land. Rainbow Land, yeah. I love that song. And I asked her regarding the alternate cut that's found on the story tapes. The story tapes, when they released the, the audio books, had a song from the record albums at the end of each tape. And for Rainbow Land, it's a completely different cut, song, person singing everything. They even did that for Paint a Rainbow in Your Heart. Huh. And I was wondering, did you know anything about these alternate tapes? No, we didn't. Where we, I think we probably should. I am wondering if those alternate tapes. What was the year that they were produced? They were. Uh, they came out with the books, so probably at the same time the books did, like probably eighty four. Eighty four. Oh, so what? That's interesting. I mean, I remember seeing some of the tape things and the tape stories, 
But I didn't listen to no, like. But the Disney system. wouldn't do that. Did somebody else produce them? Well, it was it came on the official tapes that were released by Disney. I'm thinking they may have just re-recorded them for time because the tapes had to be the same length, and maybe the songs were longer. I don't know. Either way, oh. there are alternate takes of those two songs, and I have told Lois about them before too. And she didn't know anything about them either. Now, I don't see anything about Disney on... I'm just looking at the books that came with the tape, and it's all either Golden Book or Buena Vista Records. That's Disney, Buena Vista. Buena Vista Records is Disney. That is definitely a Disney arm. And they also also had... They were working with Golden Books, because I did the story books for Mercer Mayer, uh, just me and my dad and those things. And they were a co-production of... Buena Vista and Golden Books. So, uh, and I'm sure that they probably did it for time because Paint a Rainbow and Your Heart and Rainbowland were both ballads. And so they probably ran a little bit slower than they did, so they probably recut them to make them a tiny bit faster. That would be my guess. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. That would make sense. (laughs) Which songs would you say are your favorites? Oh, my gosh. Well, I love Rainbowland, which is by Joey Carbone and Louis Blaish. Wonderful song. Uh, I really love um, Paint a Rainbow in Your Heart. Yeah. Which we also ended up being on a, um, uh, well, that's wrong. The, the other, I love A Gift of Love. A Gift of, of Love. From, love. from the, Christmas, the album. Christmas album. Yeah, yeah it came on the 12 Days of Christmas. The 12 Disney Days of Christmas, album. yes. That was a thing that we did. Uh, we wrote that with a, a friends of ours, uh, Don and Bobby Vandervoort. Yeah. The lyrics, we wrote the lyrics. Together, just we thought that'd be fun to do it with them. So oh, yeah, and I love Bink Bonk. A uh, color symphony. Yeah, know, we like we like our music. Well, <laughs> you should because it's fantastic. <laughs> and in in the in the twig of an eye was a lot of fun. That was fun. Yeah. But uh, you know, I I like um, Pinarino in your hearts are very Yeah, I think that's song. probably my favorite. Yeah. That's a really really good one. Um, yeah. And Funny. I guess my father probably as well, which was yeah. also one of the Twelve Days of Christmas they uh, they did with um, with the uh, oh Robin Frederick Robin Frederick Robin Frederick produced and she had a nice big choir. Oh, that's production. right. She, yeah. She, yeah, yeah, she did. Yeah, yeah. It was a separate production. Yeah, sure. Didn't get to go to those sessions either. Aww. <laughs> that's okay. I've been plenty of sessions. Yeah. <laughs> really. All right. So was Gift of Love written for the Rainbow album? Yes, it was written for the Christmas album. Okay. And then, then used to, yeah. when they re-released it, they took the Rainbow Bright references out. Right. Which totally ruined it, in my opinion. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. It's still great, but <laughs> I'm biased. <laughs> now, Renee, I'm curious. Did you have the albums as a child? Yes, I had the uh, Pain Rainbow in Your Heart album as a child. Listened to it regularly. Okay, because I did not, I think we may have discussed this in a previous podcast, but I want to tell you, Michael and Patty, um, I was deprived as a child. I did not have either of these albums. But when I was in high school and started collecting Rainbow Bright things and started being known as Rainbow Bright by my friends, a friend of mine who had the album gifted it to me because it was high school. She figured she would never listen to it again. Um, And I think at the time my mom still had a setup where we had a record player that you could then record onto a cassette tape. So Uh, I went through the trouble of making a cassette tape of the record and then I would listen to it in my car driving to and from 
high school. And it became this funny thing. Anytime I would give one of my friends a ride anywhere, they were like, really? Why are you listening to children's music? And I'm like, it's great. What are you talking about? (laughs) And I had, I was in theater classes myself in, in middle school and high school. And as a senior, I remember having to kind of lead the class in, it wasn't, it was kind of a warm-up type session. So it wasn't exercise, but it was kind of warming up your voice, just warming up your body, whatever. And I would always use Starlight Rainbow Bright. That's what it was. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I would always use that as the warm-up song. And so by the end of the year, my entire drama class knew every word to that song. <laughs> oh, that's, that's funny. Great. That's great. <laughs> yeah, so even to someone who came into it late, um, I just, I think it's a fantastic, both of them are fantastic albums and I listen to them, you know, the Christmas one definitely every Christmas and the re- the yeah. rest are kind of mixed in with my eclectic mix of music. So they come on every once in a while when I'm, when I'm in the car and put a big smile on my face. Oh, that's oh great. great. And well, we you know, mine is Bink Bonk. Every time I have work to do, I put Bink Bonk on because it, it, it has <laughs> this, this happy little techno groove in it that just makes me bounce. That's a great <laughs> idea. <laughs> That's, that's, a good, that's a good idea. When I get slow, and maybe I should start singing Bing Bong. <laughs> <laughs> it has that breakdown in the middle, you know, right. bang, bang, bang. <laughs> Yeah. Um, it, it's, you know, it's really nice, I have to tell you, that, that we wrote these songs years ago for a couple of, for a few people. Uh, none of them were kids. And, <laughs> and uh, it's so nice to go around the world and, People remember these older songs, and, and you know, of course, the gummy bears and tailspin and that that sort of thing too. Oh yes. And to have people remember it and really, it, it meant something to them. People of a certain age, right? <laughs> Probably your age. Uh, and it was it's so nice. It makes uh, it makes me feel great. It makes us feel wonderful that we're that uh, they remember us fondly. Oh, and there are so many that do. I know I do, and I'm sure Renee as well, get emails or messages on Facebook or whatnot every year, um, people talking about those albums, and they're sharing them with their children now. Uh, I actually had a message just, I don't know, last week, I think, from a fan online that still listens to her cassette tape of the album. And I was telling her, you know, if, if you're worried about wearing it out, there are digital versions available. And she's like, oh, no, 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 no. It can only be listened to on cassette for me. Oh, that <laughs> is so cute. That it was so adorable. Cute. And again, some of my friends like only records. Yeah. I did want to bring up, um, I did ask uh, Jim about uh, if they have any of the musical tracks before the vocals were added in, where they would be mm-hmm. if Disney had them. And he said they were probably on a 12 track. Oh, wow. But that the tracks were recorded in Nashville. If mm-hmm. so, he doesn't know where the sheet music would be. He, he said they used mostly chord charts, he thinks, and that he thinks Pat Patrick from Nashville wrote at least one of the tracks. He, that's tr- right. I remember. He wrote. He wrote a couple of tracks. He wrote uh, "Make Room for a Rainbow Inside," and he wrote uh, "The Pits," and he wrote "Starlight Rainbow Bright." Right. And "Prismatism." So wow. he wrote four songs. Uh, we wrote five. That was my first album. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and uh, we wrote five. He wrote four. And, uh, and then you wanted to know if it was possible to share any of uh, the online or copyright 
uh, or would copyright keep them from doing so? Jim said he may have some demo tracks or lyric sheets in his storage shed, but knew, who knows how long it would take to find. We're the same way. I went through the attic. We have boxes and boxes and boxes of stuff. Yeah. And I, underneath the house and above in, in the attic um, from so many projects over all these years. Uh, I couldn't find Rainbow Bright in one particular box I thought it might be in, but um, it's somewhere. Huh. Yeah. So one and I, day. And I did find the albums. and uh, Yeah, we do uh, have all the albums and everything. And uh, in a box under the house. And we do have oh, a cassette wow. tape, which I just, Michael hasn't, we don't have it. We do have a cassette player over here? I do not. Yeah, so we, yeah. we couldn't play the cassette tape to see what was on that. Because it might be, it might it be might a portal studio. Might, yeah, right. I started all these demos on a portal studio, which was a little tiny four-track which with the cassette running twice the speed of a normal cassette. And uh, that's how we did our demos originally before we moved over to 12-track. <laughs> right. <laughs> wow. And then, and then into uh, ADAT land with 24-track ADAT and you know, uh, unlimited digital um, tracks. So <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> amazing evolution because, you know, I still have from the days when I was using reel-to-reel -reel tape, I still have my uh, my cutting block and with razor blades and splicing tape, <laughs> so that I could splice all these tapes together. Uh, so it's much easier now. Yes, I would say so. <laughs> well, what I want to do is I want to archive all this old stuff because it's it's there. So yeah, absolutely, and that's great that you still have the knowledge of how to do that. You know, I worry that that technology is going to get lost over the years and you know people think oh we don't need that anymore we have such an easier method but sometimes you lose something that was there with those old recordings like you know how some people swear by listening to vinyl records and nothing else um i really hope that that knowledge is passed down and that the equipment is not completely lost. So in the future, you know, if they say, you know, it really sounded better doing it this way, they can go back and, and do things like that again. Well, you know, a lot of people who are of the younger generation have gone back to recording boards and recording with tape. They've also and gone back to vinyl records now. Yeah. It's a very big, it's making a tremendous comeback. Mm -hmm. so I saw them at the store, a vinyl record section. And yeah, right. I know. It's interesting. And and, and now they're they're re-releasing a lot of records that were never released in vinyl. They're only released in CDs. Now they're releasing them on vinyl because people are beginning to discover it again, rediscover it, and it's really quite uh, it's really quite amazing. And I think that you know it's like guilds uh, in the old days where they would have wood carvers and people who would build things like that. They never go away. There is always one or two or three people in any generation who wants to learn how to do that. Mm -hmm. And like there was, a, there was a show on recently about books, uh, and there was a place in San Francisco where they're actually doing books almost like the Gutenberg map of the, uh, of the 15 and 1600s, where they're actually doing the, 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 making the books by hand, every page. Wow. It's really wonderful. And I think, so I don't think that these things ever really get lost because there's always one or two or three cranks in the who want to, who want to do something different mm -hmm. and want to do it the old way. So. Nice. Yeah. 
Well, you say you're still working. So what are you guys working on these days? Well, uh, we I'm uh, the composer of um, Dinosaur Train, which is on PBS every day. It's a uh, it's a uh, Jim Henson. We've been doing a lot of work over the years with the Jim Henson Company. Yeah, we started with Jim Henson about 1996, doing stuff with them while we were doing it, stuff with Disney at the same time. But uh, we've been working there for a long time. And we did a show called Pajanimals, which is on uh, the Sprout channel. Sprout Online. And then it was on NBC, but uh, now not. it's not on NBC Saturday mornings, but they've just released it internationally. Oh, great. And so, it's on Netflix. It's on Netflix. And, a, lot uh, of, a lot of really fun music in that with the, pu- with the puppets. The puppets yeah. are darling. And Dinosaur Train, I'm sure you're probably not... A, not uh, It's a very, very popular TV show, but... You know, I think if unless you had kids, you wouldn't have a reason to go watch it. Yeah. Gotcha. It's wonderful writing. Loved it it was uh, created by Craig Bartlett. Who did Hey Arnold. Who did Hey Arnold, yeah. And okay. It's, it's a really, it's a lot of fun. Great characters and just a lot of fun. And I just did a pilot for a show called Chatter Zoo, which is also with Henson and a group from China. And we did that in uh, this very new thing called Motion Capture. Uh, which is also how they do Sid the Science Kid, which is another Henson show, but we've done a few songs for. But I've written uh, the music for this uh, this uh, pilot, and we'll see how it goes. Now, when you're talking about writing music for these shows, are you talking about just theme songs or actual songs being sung in episodes by the characters? Both. In Pajamas, yeah. In Pajamas, we had songs. Plus the score, and the, the, I wrote all the music for all the for all the shows and all for all the songs. And Patty wrote half the lyrics, and the other half were written by another couple of people. Uh, and then Alex, I well, actually, Alex Rothman, who Alex Rockwell, Alex Rockwell, who um, created the show. She yeah. created the Pajamas. It was produced in Ireland, in Belfast. Hmm. So it was a Henson production, a co-production. And it was created by Alex Rockwell and Jeff Muncy, who designed the characters. Yeah. It was a lot, of, a lot of fun to do. And there's lots of songs in that. But I also did the score as well. In Dinosaur Train, I've written a couple of songs, but mostly I'm just doing the background score. Craig himself is a songwriter who created the show, so he's done most of the writing of the songs. Right. Wow, that's so amazing. (laughs) I know Renee and I are so sad that the score from the Rainbow Bright episodes seems to have been lost or, you know, Haim Saban and Shuki Levy aren't ready to to unleash that on the world, at least. Um, Yeah, and I have no idea who wrote any of that. Yeah, I'm hoping one day it will surface because it's beautiful, beautiful music. We have a friend of ours that's reproduced some of it um, just on his own just as a hobby and it's it's gorgeous but i really wish we had all of it um so i i have to imagine that children these days that are watching shows like the ones that you're composing music for um it when they get to be in their 20s 30s whatever and are getting nostalgic that perhaps those scores will be available at that time um even though they're not to our generation so hopefully hopefully that'll be the case yeah. Did you ever contact Heim Saban? Uh, I've tried to contact Suki Levy through his website a few years ago, but right. I didn't get a reply. Uh, but no, I haven't reached Heim Saban yet. Oh, yeah, or Shuki, really. It'd probably be Shuki. Yeah. 
Well, they did a lot of ghost. They had a lot of ghost writers. They used a lot of writers as ghost writers. This is one of those things where Hallmark really went to several companies at once, and Disney got the album thing and some of those auxiliary projects. But Heim Saban got the TV shows and never the twain shall meet somehow. Huh. And I'm hoping, you know, there weren't many back in in the 80s that I recall cartoons that had actual music, as in people singing um, musical numbers in them, uh-huh. other than you know, like Alvin and the Chipmunks. Um but I'm seeing a few more these days, like the My, the My Little Pony show. It's not every episode, but every few episodes, they all do a musical number. And I'm kind of hoping that's going to become a new trend. Uh, I know that's probably more expensive for the studios producing these cartoons to add music um, into them as well. But I love musicals so much. <laughs> right. We were very lucky because when we were doing the Disney Afternoon, they peppered each of those shows with songs, although we only wrote the theme song to two of the shows, which was Gummy Bears and Tailspin, and there was like uh, Chippendales Rescue Rangers and uh, DuckTales. They had characters who ended up doing songs, and we ended up writing most of the songs that they did in those shows as well. In the shows themselves, Uh, yeah. And we also wrote songs for the Little Mermaid TV show as well. Uh, Well, we had written... In Harmony, yeah. In Harmony and... uh, during the dance, we had written, you know, we did all the music for the sequel to The Little Mermaid and the sequel to Aladdin. I'm not sure if you were aware of that. Wow. Yeah, no, we did Return of Jafar. Yes, Return we did all the music for Return of Jafar. No, we only did two songs. Oh, really? I thought we, we, we did forget, forget about, about love. And, uh, and uh, you have a friend in me uh, by, uh, with, uh, I wrote with Gail Gagne. Right. Yeah, especially working with so many people like you have, you know, other composers, writers, singers even, yeah. um, producers, all of that had to just, yeah, you had to meet so many characters. Um, no, literally human characters. <laughs> yes. Not just, the, not just the animated and the puppet characters. You're right. Very many characters. What's, yeah, it's, it's, been, uh, it's been a wild ride, but a fun one, too. Yeah. Of of the things I know, for example, Michael, you wrote the musical to Knuffle Bunny, mm-hmm. and uh, you also do the television and, and, and children's. Shows. Which is your favorite medium to write for? Plays, television, or just music? A good question. That is a very good question, and um, um, I love the theater. It's where I feel most at home. It's the most uh, fun. For me, it, it's you know, it's, it's like I always say that I, I do a lot of television music so I can pay for my doing theater because you don't really make a lot of money doing theater. But uh, we're hoping to change that. We yeah. are writing a musical right now with a woman named Catherine Houghton. She's Catherine Hepburn's niece. Oh wow! Wow! And uh, it actually has a lot to do with what we were talking about earlier in regards to the first cassette and, and Michael recording on, you know, cutting tape and editing it that way. This is a musical based on old books. Old books. Oh, cool. And, uh, and, uh, based on the lives of two women who were the foremost book antiquarians and had a passion and had a, their livelihood for in the 20s and on up all the way to the, the, way to the 2000, yeah. Yeah, 2000 on buying and selling rare books. So, yeah. 
the thing is, uh, theater is uh, it's a great uh, medium in terms of writing. Uh, you have an you have an immediate impact on a on a theater audience when they actually get to see the show, uh, and it's a it's a uh, it's a uh, conversation between an audience and the actors on stage and the singers on stage, and it's just so much fun. And even though I know how it's done, uh, I still fall for the magic every time. Uh, it, it really just is wonderful. It's it's my uh, my most favorite medium, and I've done it the longest. I've been doing theater since I was 18, and I'm 62 now. So uh, it's been a, a long uh, a long ride in theater, and a long ride in television and film and everything. Yeah, really, like, has been. I was also thinking, you know, our first we, we've never had an office except for one TV show. And that's when we were on the lot at the Jim Henson Studios, and we did the show. It was a television series called Animal Jam. A lots and lots and lots of songs, and each episode definitely had a lot of songs in that one. And that was the closest thing to doing theater. That was that was what the wonderful thing about working with the Muppets. When you're working with Muppets and not with other types puppets, of situations, yeah, with when you're working with puppets, it's like working in live theater. Because they're doing the same things, they're on the sets, and it's uh, the sets are built for live people to interact, and it's really fun. It's very theatrical. Yeah, but yeah, it is. It is theater. It totally is theater. And so that's that was a very that's been a lot of fun working with the uh, with the Muppets. So over the years, have you worked on any movies? Not really. No. I think they, we had a we had a a piece of music in. I Love Trouble with Nick Nolte and Julie Roberts many years ago. Oh, cool. Uh, and then there was a movie Disney did. Oh, it was a TV movie. Not. It was called... Um, oh, we did Polly. Polly, And we did, yeah. uh, we did uh, Kermit the Swamp Years. Oh, yeah, that's right. That was a movie. Um, and then, well, you did say, you know, Return of Jafar, the... Right, right. Return of Jafar, yes. Okay. Which was really good at the end of the TV series, but they ended up making it... The, it was really the first directed video film ever made by um, Disney. Really? Okay. Yeah. Return to Jafar was the first DVD that Disney ever released. Oh, it, started their whole, <laughs> it started their whole, yeah, I don't mean DVD, VCR. Yeah, it started yeah. their whole v, uh, division. Huh. Yeah. And really uh, so, uh, yeah. So we've done, uh, you know, a Dinosaur Train is going to be doing a movie next year, they say. So that'll be a, a chance to do some scoring for an actual film. Um, Elmo and Grouchland, wasn't that a movie? Yes, that, oh, was, that was a movie. Oh, that was a movie, and we got a Grammy for that song. That was so great. <laughs> Together Forever was the name of the that song. That was wonderful. We for that. that was a great experience. Uh, and the room I'm sitting in right now is where we did the demo for that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, exactly. This is the room where we did the, Most of all it. of it. I'll be able to everything. So. <laughs> That's so fascinating. <laughs> now, in addition to loving music, Katie is also a animal lover, as you guys are. are you have puppies? We, we do. Them. They're here right now. One of them's been sneezing, I mean, coughing a lot. Clico. That's my dog. Little white dog. And then Barney and Palmer, my two little white dogs. And uh, they're, uh, they're just staring at us right now. Two of them. <laughs> Mine is sleeping beside me at the moment. I've got Onyx, who is named after Onyx from Rainbow Bright. 
Um, she is a 14-year-old dachshund, so she doesn't have a lot of energy these days, but she's oh, still oh, with oh. me. <laughs> Wait, what breed is she? Dachshund. Oh, dachshund and doxy. Oh, how cute. Yeah, she's my little wiener dog. I love her. <laughs> yeah, oh. My little Cleco is, uh, I don't know what she is. She's, I found her in a rainstorm about 12 years old. She's, she's 13 and a half years old. Wow. She's uh, she's doing great. So she's sitting there panting and looking at me. <laughs> yes, we are huge animal lovers. Yeah. Well, and Renee has an well almost elderly dog as well. Yeah, uh, I have a, a she's twelve and a half. Uh, she's a Chihuahua. Uh, the little ones do last longer, which is really nice. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm counting on my dog to last at least another twenty years. You know. Yeah, I'm <laughs> yeah. yeah me too. That's I what I keep telling her. I'm the one with the oldest. Palmer's a Bichon, and he's 14 years old. Oh, wow. And Barney is a Bichon poodle mix, and he's five years old, and he has epilepsy. Really? Yep, he has seizures. Poor baby. He's a sweet sweetheart, and they don't last very long, and then he's right back to his normal crazy self. Yeah. <laughs> That's good, at least. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like yeah. his quality yeah. of life is, is horrible or anything. Right. Right. Well, what do you think inspires you the most when it comes to songwriting? That's really interesting. Um, you know, it's, it, when I started out, it was just things I was interested in. You know, most people write uh, love songs, but I've never really written love songs. I've always been interested in things. Like, I wrote a song early on called Wheatfield with Crows, which was from... Um, uh, uh, Van Gogh painting. Um, I I like history, uh, things that are not the normal things. I, I wrote a song called Everest, which is about just overcoming obstacles. Uh, a simple prayer, which was uh, uh, out of thoughts about 9/11 when that happened. We wrote yeah. a song for, well, we actually wrote the Mothers Against Drunk Drivers candlelight vigil song, which they've used for years and years and years. But, um, but we did it not because we wanted to, because a friend of ours' daughter had been killed by a drunk driver, and we wrote a song for her memorial. Oh, wow. And they liked the song that they, they sent it off to Mad, and Mad would fly us all over the country to do their, do their candlelight vigil every year in December. Wow. And, and behind the the people who were uh, doing the candle lighting, it was really quite moving. So, um, so pretty varied career here. <laughs> yeah, nothing that uh, nothing uh, nothing normal. <laughs> <laughs> nothing wrong with that. <laughs> We've got plenty of we love songs. Really out there. To, we really never really tried to have hit songs or anything. We really just followed our own hearts. So. I think that's much more important. Yeah. A lot of people seem to just want to, you know, make a big name for themselves, make a buck, whatever, but the heart's not there. So I absolutely respect the path that you guys have taken, uh, being true to yourselves and true to your art. That's awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Who has been your favorite character to write for? That's, oh, a, that's a good that's question. A great question. Um, well, I'd say probably Donald Duck, <laughs> because, you know, and we worked with the original, Clarence, Clarence Nash. Nash, who was the original Donald Duck before he died, uh, 
In fact, I think his last recording session was was with us on the Donald Duck version of our happy happy birthday song. Nice. And uh, yeah, and it was a uh, it was a he was a, a great grand old gentleman to work with. Lots of fun. But you know, my favorite song that we've written for me personally is is Winnie the Pooh's Places in the Heart. Yeah, which was sung by Christopher Robin. That was sung by Christopher Robin in the um, Winnie the Pooh. The Valentine's Valentine, Day. Valentine, Valentine for you, Winnie the Pooh. Oh. And we actually were nominated for an Emmy for that song. Yeah. It's fantastic. The, it was a, about two, year, two months after my father had died back in 1997. Mandy Moe from Disney called us up and said, I know you don't feel like writing right now, but... You might really help you. We have these two Winnie the Pooh projects we'd like you to look at. So, uh, and it was a Winnie the Pooh Thanksgiving special called A Thanksgiving for You, Winnie the Pooh, and A Valentine for You, Winnie the Pooh. And so we we, uh, wrote all the songs for that. And the last song was Places in the Heart, which we wrote, was really written with, uh, with my dad in mind. So it was sort of a it was sort of our memorial to him, and it really was quite moving, and it was it was nominated for the uh, the Emmy that year. We received three Emmy nominations: one, two for Winnie the Pooh songs, and one for this song that we did for our, uh, a Henson show called Mr. Willoughby's Christmas Tree. Uh, that, that was with, that was a movie that was with Robert Downey Jr. and Stockard Channing and, uh, and Leslie Nielsen. Right. Yeah. Oh, I don't think I've seen that one. I need to check that out. You'll have to you'll have to check it out on YouTube. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I thought of one other question. Um, if there are any listeners to this podcast who are interested in getting into a career in composing um, and songwriting for television and movies and albums, you know, children's albums, this kind of thing, what would be some advice you would give them? Wow. Well. That's a good question, and I also think um, what's important is 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 they need to ask themselves as a writer: Are they open to writing for children, for advertising, for uh, theme parks? Sorry, Cleco, she's choking. Oh, poor boy. Um, would they be open to you know? Would there's so many areas where a person can make a living during music, writing music, as opposed to just saying, I want to write a hit song for somebody else now, which is getting fewer and fewer uh, songs, songwriters having, uh, really having opportunities to do that, because now so many of the performers are writing their own songs and releasing them. And also, there's really big committees that get together to write, and everybody has a has a piece of the project. Right. So, I mean, to start off with, again, I think one of the top things would be musical theater. That's how, really, that background for Michael enabled him to write every style of music that's ever been written. He does country. He does, you know, oh, gosh, he'll do classical. He'll do reggae, He'll whatever. Jazz, whatever. Um, and it's just so much fun and just so universal. Mm. Um, if there's a songwriter's organization in your area, uh, look around to see whether you could join that and do open mics and perform your songs there. Um, in children's music, you'd need to probably really study who's out there and what are they doing. 
I know that Disney, now I could be wrong about them today, but I don't think so. Disney does not just take, Disney does not take unsolicited material. Mm-hmm. Disney will have a project and then they will go for the, they will go out and seek the songwriter. It's wow. not like they, it's not like they, you just come to them with an album idea. That's not how Disney operates. See, when we first started though, we were part of the cattle call. They would have a, We'd have like 10 or 15 people that we were up against doing. All the time, everything. every project. And everybody thought we sort of had a monopoly on it, but that was not true. We had, they, would, they would get tons of songs from all these writers around town. And it just, we were just very fortunate that they kept choosing ours. Yeah. They have to like what we were doing. So. Right. But to be active in, in the music community and also not just be active in writing songs, but, you know, the, the writing and placing of a song is 50-50, so to put you as much energy into your marketing and your social media and um, your professionalism and how you, you know, perform it or, or the craft of songwriting itself, boy, a lot of people don't write very many melodies anymore these days, hmm. and, and Michael's a great melodist, I mean, his, you know, people are remembering things from 40 years ago, and uh and, you know, back in the days when we had great melodists, and now it's a lot of, I don't know, it's different. Music today is very different. It's a lot of rhythm. Yeah. And the rhythm is fun. Yeah. But I, I do miss, uh, I do love to have a good melody wrapped around a rhythm. So. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've I like, you know, folk music and I listened to a few bands online or that's at least where they got their start was basically on YouTube. They would write songs, they would play and sing it and slowly it got kind of passed around until they had a a pretty big fan base. Um, And I, I enjoy those when it's just one or two instruments and some vocals, but I do miss the whole, you know, when you'd have the whole orchestra basically, or at least several, several instruments going, not just a couple, um, well, I think what's his name? The the, the guys who are doing uh, who did uh, Frozen uh, are really great. They yes. have some really wonderful songs, and they also have a good sense of melody, right? And a good sense of lyrics, and really they're 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 great. Their success is, is well deserved, uh, and um, I, I like uh, that type of things. People who who have a you know you have to have a sense of tradition. It's not just something new. There's a there's a there's a great deal of people who've come before, and a great deal of people who will come after, and to be able to hear what was there that can really lift your spirit and your heart. That's the that's the thing. That's the thing that makes it go go forward. So. Awesome. Thank you all so much for just taking the time to do this interview. And, you know, there are so many fans out there that are just going to be tickled pink to uh, to get some background behind these songs that they love so much, you know, from childhood into adulthood and are now sharing with their kids. Um, you know, these songs are going to live on forever if we have anything to do with it. Uh- <laughs> we thank you for all of your energies and your enthusiasm. It's just wonderful. This is great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And yeah, hopefully we can do this again sometime. Okay, you bet. Just let us know. You got it. Hope you dry up. (laughs) (laughs) I'm working on it. (laughs) Thanks so much to both of you. You all have a, hopefully, you know, send us some of your rain, please. (laughs) We'll do our best. (laughs) We need it desperately. (laughs) Don't melt. 
<laughs> Tell your doggies that we said hello to. Okay, yeah, yours as that. well. Have a happy fall. Thank you. You too. Okay, Thank take you. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. That was so much fun. <laughs> I know. They were so nice. When Michael started singing, I thought I was going to lose it. That was amazing. <laughs> I really am looking forward to interviewing them again because they did, they did say that they are open to interviewing with us again. So uh, maybe next time we can get some questions from you guys. Yeah, please do give us a call and let us know what you would like to know. We still have the voicemail box where you can leave us a message if you call the number 702-900-STAR or 702-900-7827. Uh, that's within the United States. And then if you are anywhere else in the world, you can use the website vocaroo.com. That's V-O-C-A-R-O-O.com. That will allow you to record a message and then email it to us. And what is our email address? Email address is uh, brightcast at gmail.com. Excellent. And even if you have a question that has nothing to do with the music, we'd still love to hear from you <laughs> or comment. Okay, well, thank you again for tuning in, and we hope you found this episode enjoyable. And until our next episode, remember, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Uh, drop us a line at brightcast at gmail. And don't forget to visit the website, thebrightcast.com, for all previous shows, show notes, and contact info. Uh, so until our next episode, everybody, have, have a rainbow, rainbow day! Pink, pink, rotato. Yak yak skittle wack. Wiggity 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 w